Son Kearney on to his right foot and he cracks it home. Brilliant finish from Harrison Reed. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under. And we're back again this time to discuss the Man United game on the weekend. A disappointing 1-0 loss uh, in a game that probably could have gone either way. We'll also be talking about the affordable Fulham protest. We saw all the yellow cards on the live stream over here and it was great to see so many supporters getting behind it. Here to discuss everything we have. Elton, how are we going? Yeah, good afternoon, good evening, hello everyone, and uh, nice to be here. And Sammy, how are we? That was a, that was a, that was a lovely, that was a lovely introduction, Father. Uh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, I'm actually not that tired. I'm quite peppy. I'm quite peppy today. So yeah, let's let's see how it runs when we're talking about this this devastating loss. This is dangerous, Sam, being peppy after a I loss. Know. You know. I'm waiting, just expecting the anger to come pouring out of you. Well, yeah. let's crack straight into it, guys. We we discussed this one, uh, it feels like just a couple of days ago. Um, and I think we were all fairly, not positive as such, but looking at it as a potential opportunity to make something happen and take advantage of a Man United side who have a lot of struggles at the moment on and off the pitch. Feels like a bit of an opportunity missed. Sammy, I'll throw to you first. I guess you, I know you've got the anger bubbling inside you, but does it not feel like we we missed out on an opportunity there? Oh, I really wish you didn't ask me that question. That's a triggering question for me. I thought you were going to ask me a more general kind of like, what did you think of the game? Um, look, you know I'm a romantic. I will always be a romantic about um, the beautiful game. Um I was I was talking with my Man United friend the entire time, and he 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 was very very glum, and with every chance that we took, there was more and more hope, and um, following a subjective offside, whatever that is, the game really really opened up, and with every shot we tried to take, I believed more and more and more. So then that just made the loss all the more crushing because I really got, I'm not sure about you guys, but I got to a point where I just would not accept a draw and I wouldn't accept a loss either. So for me, it was, we had to win because we had so much potential to win. And I'm not sure how devastated you guys were in the 91st minute, but that crushed me. I don't know. Yeah. Look, we, we watched the game together, Dad and I, and it was it sucked the life out of both of us at the time. I I think um having been so wasteful, I guess, through the game. Dad, you oh. just walk us through your thoughts after that winner went in. Um, it was pretty brutal. Look, I, honestly. I was surprised at how ordinary Man United actually were and then frustrated how we couldn't take advantage of that. Yeah. And we we were trying. <clears throat> I think it would be wrong to say that, yeah, it was a lacklustre performance and we weren't trying to win the game. But there's just so many problems all over the place. And it 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 was... It, it wasn't a pleasant afternoon to be a supporter, let's be honest. Can I, can I pose a question to you guys? Because Man United were 
bad. I was expecting them to be bad. But would you have rather um, had like drawn in a really, really good surefire game of just hotly contested Man United our best and are at our best and it just goes nil-nil? Or would you rather have won in this crappy circumstance in a really scrappy game? <laughs> I mean, it, I'd always it, take a win. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. I know, I know. But like, it's yeah. Uh, I, do you know I, what I mean? Given our look, our circumstances at the moment. Oh God, we boy, boy, could we have done with three points? Yeah, mm. it would have been. <clears throat> we'd probably be in tenth, uh, maybe ninth position. Yeah, no, the Pro- probably jump. probably tenth, probably tenth, and <clears throat> we're, we're we're still not that far away from that tenth, eleventh, twelfth position. But it it just feels like every week it's just a slightly different variation on the same theme. Um, And I I know what you're saying. Wouldn't it be great to have this, you know, slogging match where we're going toe-to-toe with them? But in the end, so many of these games are just about picking up professional points, winning games. and, and, And for us, it's just trying to get ourselves to the next transfer window, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that. Like, I'm not sure about you guys, but that if this, this was the game where I was like, we have a real, real problem, and if we don't sort it out transfer window, then I'm not, like, it's it's hard because the bottom is so compacted and it's pretty hard to actually get into relegation. But in any other season, we I think we'd be staring down the barrel. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's obvious that we have a striking issue. I think that's plain and clear to see. I, I, we talked about Silver signing his new contract and what that could potentially mean, and there's been a lot of linkage with um, a couple of players. Um, Jimenez, who's another Mexican striker, who's in scintillating form at the moment. Girassi, I think his name is, playing in the Bundesliga as well. I think he has 15 goals in nine games. Um, we, we're linked with strikers and making bids for strikers at the moment. So that's a big positive because after Mitro left, we just weren't linked with any strikers. So I, I think that something will happen there. And I'm, I'm not too stressed at the moment because I, I reckon realistically Silva has said, I'm not signing a new contract unless we get a new striker in. Um, and he's, mm. he's obviously playing it very politically in the press saying, you know, we've got three strikers. Yeah. We're happy to rotate. We've got what we need at the moment. Um, and look, I, I think Muniz actually had a pretty good game as well. Um, mm. But look, I, yeah, I agree. The, the league at the moment is is poor. The bottom teams, uh, I don't know if you guys looked at the fixtures yesterday, but um, only Sheffield United in the bottom half picked up points. Mm. Um, and, and so it actually hasn't affected us. This loss to Man United, we still sit in 14th place. Um, we, we don't have teams breathing down our neck at all. We, we're yeah. in a pretty good position. Um, mm. Let's talk about one of the flashpoints in the game. Um, Dad, I, we were, I guess, fortunate enough to be sitting together and going through this one. But, Sammy, talk to me on your thoughts on the Man United opening goal, which was ruled out. I, I want to hear how, how you saw it and, I guess, if you understood what was going on, if you agreed with what was going on, walk me through it. I will be the first to put my hand up and say I had no idea what was going on. I will happily take um the what was it, what was it what was it called um like it had a, had a stupid name i said it earlier before but i can't remember what it was 
Um, yeah, subjective, a subjective offside. I have no idea yeah. what that means. Um, but you know what? Like at that moment, I was just being petty and thinking we can't go one nil down three minutes into this game. So I took it. I gave my friend a lot of shit for it, um, which in hindsight was a bad call. I yeah, please explain to me what a subjective offside is. Cause I even heard Schmeichel in um the uh halftime talk saying that he'd never heard of it. So if he's never heard of it, I've never heard of it at all. Well, I, I think uh, it, I don't think it's anything that's actually in a rule book. There's no subjective offside. Offsides the, the good thing about offside as a rule is it's black or white. You're either onside or you're offside. What mm. I thought was really good and and a big hats off. Dad and I were sort of joking about this. The VAR was Jared Gillett, who is an Australian referee. And I have to say he's one of the best referees in the Premier League for me for his decision-making and his clarity. And he's obviously looked at it very closely and said, look, um, I think it's Garnacho who gets the cross across for McTominay. Mm. Garnacho is onside. Um, the the big issue is does Harry Maguire impact? I think it's Muniz. Does Harry yeah, Maguire impact is. Muniz's ability to get to the ball and defend that cross? So that's where it's subjective, and it's similar to the one we had against Man City, where that's right. Uh, that's is it right. Kanji is in the way, and yeah, and it is subjective. It's a subjective offside. That more so because you've got to say is he is he stopping Leno from going for the ball? And and I have to say I was sitting there going, I just feel like this is definitely going to go against us. And it was kind of nice to come off the back of it and look at it and go, VAR actually did its job. That's what VAR is there for. Um, It's there to take your time to look through replays, analyze it, work it out, and actually, you know, make sure that the, the right decision is made at the end. And I'm really glad that we came to the right decision there. And I mean, it didn't change the game, so you're not going to hear about it in the press much, but that is exactly how VAR should work. Really clear mm. communication from the VAR official, telling him to go over and look at the screen and saying, it's subjective, you make the call now based on the information I'm giving you. Here we go. Dad, we were talking about it a fair bit at the time. Um, your thoughts on the the whole VAR here? Well, I think, I think what you're really saying is that would have been awful if that subjective impact that Maguire had on the play was overlooked because it's pretty obvious in slow motion. It's hard to see it in real time. Um, I I didn't see it in real time. Uh, But I I think um, the, the, the Man City game was a good example of even though it was on clear, full view in VAR, it was actually overlooked. So VAR has all the resources but doesn't actually take action. And that is difficult, particularly if you're on the wrong end of it. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't want to sound glib or smug or whatever just because it happened to go our way and we we, we benefited from the the turnover. Uh, I, I think what we're all saying here is that uh, the right decision was made. It's very technical, but mm. you know, if you slow it down to frames and you've got four different angles, which the 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 field referee of, obviously doesn't have, that's what it's for. And I know it's not very dynamic and it does slow things down, but 
But if you're going to take the time to review things in great frame by frame detail, then you you you, right. you know you have to take all these things into account and get it right and not overlook it and just go, oh yeah, but the ref couldn't have possibly known that uh, in real time. That that's not relevant. Yeah, my I mean, whole thing is it, like... makes, it makes you it makes you wonder how on earth how on earth the the Man City goal was given. I mean, why? How? Oh, it was even more I mean, blatant. It was very blatant. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I I find it very hard to kind of like get behind things I don't fully understand. Um, but you know what? I'm from the petty side of me. We'll definitely take this. So mm. look, I was very very happy with the result. But yeah, it's. Just, I can't get too um, excited about it because again, I don't really know. It's a bit like being a three year old and your birthday's happening. It's exciting, but you don't really know what's happening. Well, I I think. The, the measure of it is, would we have been annoyed if we had scored and it was ruled out for the same reason? And I don't think I would have been annoyed because there's genuinely um, some impact on the play there. And I think I'd rather that get called every single time than it be subjective, 100%. if you will. And... Um, and some teams get away with it and some teams don't, which is sort of what we've seen so far. Even when using VAR, I'd rather them check that and go, yeah, okay, look, he, he looks like he is impacting on play there. So, yeah, call it offside and be done with it because I think that's a better way to do it is almost err on the safe side rather than being too controversial. Um, but look, well, you're, I- you're really saying, are we comfortable with the fact that that kind of involvement equals an impact on the play and again if you look at the leno leno was totally put off in man's in that man city game mm. by the man city player trying he missed the ball but he was absolutely going uh, going for it mm. and um <clears throat> and I, and I, and it's it's clear that um a player being in 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 that position where he can have an impact does influence the game and so it should be called cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I call it a bit of a get-off, I guess, because we did sort of get away with one there. I thought at that point in the game, though, it was all fairly even. Um, You know, I I think we knew that this Man United team was not so much there for the taking, but they're not the beast that we would have come up against 10 years ago or in our first stint in the Premier League. Um, There were quite a few changes for United. They were missing Casemiro, who we know makes a massive difference to their midfield. Uh, Rashford was a late out. They had Dallow and Wambasaka starting for the first time in a while. Like there were quite a few changes there. But look, Sammy, walk me through how you feel about us going forward at the moment because we we created a handful of half chances, but nothing that really set the world alight in the first half. Yeah. Look, Onana's a good goalkeeper. I'm definitely not taking that away from him. And I think um, Man United did commit a lot of people in their defense. But there was so many times where we were really, really on top of them and we were making chances and we were just executing so poorly. I mean, I, I, I love... Awobi at the moment. I think he's great, but I think he should never shoot on goal because bless him. He's he's so good at getting up the pitch. He's so good at covering ground and really getting 
us into that final third. But he just he, he he should always be laying it off to somebody who's a little bit more confident in him. And I know we can make the argument that um it's great that everybody's shooting, but I mean, if you if you compare it yep. to last season, if you compare it to last we're, season, we're agreeing like, with you, Sam. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, yeah. Um, but like, if you compare it to last season, where it felt like we had so many op- like places where we could score from, it really feels like the polar opposite right now. And i i don't I don't really want to dwell on it too much because, frankly, it just makes me a bit sad. Um, but there was. There was so many opportunities in this game to go one nil up, and at the start of the game, I had tempered expectations. But the more we kept committing forward and actually creating these good moments, the it just it just made my heart break even more um, when we just couldn't put it away. Because like, just why couldn't we put it away? Tell me, guys, well, why could we not put it away? Any other day, you'd probably. Oh, hang on a second. Excuse me. You'd probably <laughs> happily accept Iwobi having a few long shots and them not coming yeah. off. But be- because goals are so few and far between at the moment, you know, Pereira's not firing. We haven't got a striker firing. The wingers aren't scoring many goals. So you, we, whether we should be or shouldn't be, <clears throat> there is a kind of dependence or hope at least that Iwobi might score. And that's probably it, it it doesn't necessarily need to be there. Actually, I'm not sure if you guys were listening to the commentary as well, but at one point they said that um and I don't think this is entirely true because I feel that we did score early against Arsenal, but that could have been last season. But apparently we haven't scored in the first half all season. Like that's really yeah. concerning. Does that not concern you guys? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's the uh, that's part of the concern. The concern is, um, on top of that, we've only scored nine goals in eleven games so far this season. Oh, it's bleak. Um, and you know, we we're just not not firing full stop. And look, the defense are kind of holding us together at the moment. But Dad, we we were talking during the game again, and we uh, there were just so many silly little mistakes and silly little giveaways and. Poor passes out of defence. We, it was, and, and look, I'm not just saying it was from Fulham here. It was from both sides. Oh, it yeah. was a really scrappy, scrappy yep. affair. And going in at halftime, nil-nil, it kind of felt like the only result at halftime because neither team could hold on to the ball, create any real chances. It it was a, a weird game to watch when you expect to see a Man United side who are usually full of quality just being so wasteful. Oh, the, the number of turnovers um, and in very quick succession, we'd have the ball for two passes, turn it over, Man United would get the ball and they'd lose it within two passes. It happened mm. so many times and it was, which kind of equals a shit game. Um, and it was a bit strange, really. I mean, I, um, I, I can give you some of my ideas as to why that was happening some of the time, but, um, what, yeah, you don't need it, a podcast it is tell us or? Yeah. If I had a podcast, if I had a podcast, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought, he, I thought, um, Bassey had a really good game, but I still don't like him on the right and forced to use his right, uh, because it's getting better. 
but I still mm. don't like it. I thought yeah, Bassett was it's... great going forward, actually. I thought he's was... sorry, Jack, you go. No, yeah. no, I was I was gonna ask you pretty much the same thing. I was gonna say let's dig into that because I I I, I agree. I really like Calvin Bassey. Defensively, he's a great a, a great player, but going forward, playing on the wrong side, it's just not working at the moment. And and Don't look, like Dad and I were tossing it up and saying, would you start the Fougerols, who can obviously play the ball out from the right a lot more comfortably, or do you start Bassey? And for me, it was Bassey purely because of the physicality. And I, I don't know about you, but Hoymond Hoy in the first half was a ghost. Didn't mm. even know he was there. Bassey absolutely bossed him and took him out completely. Mm, um, sure. and, and, yeah, I, I think he's not quite there yet, and I don't think he'll be there for a little bit either, especially if he's playing out of on, on the wrong side of defence. But there's there's definitely some quality there. And I like the look of Bassey. Um, it's it's just not quite working when he's playing out of position. Well, well, hang on. Um, let's go back to the Ipswich game for a moment when he played on his preferred side, and he was, you know, he was he was a he had much greater impact on the game. That's what <clears> one I'm saying. and two, there were fewer mistakes, hundred percent fewer mistakes. So I, I think it's a very tall order for him to be playing on the right side of centre-back. And, you know, it's one of the – I do agree with you that he's a very physical strong boy and he did a really, really good job, fantastic job in defence. But his distribution still still was a bit shaky off off his right foot. No question about it. Bassi for me is really, really funny because I – I see the making of kind of like a mini Rudiger because like, do you know how like Rudiger just like, I remember when he used to play for Chelsea, there was a couple moments where you just used to think he was like prime 90s Ronaldo, just bombing up the pitch and just kind of having way too much confidence than sense and just, but every now and then he would just pull off a ridiculous goal. And like, I can see Bassi being that player. Now, is that, preferred at this stage um of where we're at i think we probably need somebody who's a lot more conservative obviously d up would be great right now um uh, but and then having bassi as like a rotation to like come on in like the second half and do that stuff that's really really awesome um for for a lot of that game he was playing some really really risky football but again i have really love him for it because i can see the potential and what he's potentially going to be uh, he's he's a I, really interesting player. He's really interesting. But I, I don't think we're really talking about that or debating that. So I, I no, agree with no, you no. That, that. I agree with you that that's in his blood, and I kind of terrifies me from time to time. But uh, I I do like that sort of firecracker element about him. But mm. I would prefer him doing that all on the left side. Yeah. I'm talking about. I'm talking about my anxiety when he's forced to play out from the back and he's actually pressed into to using his right foot mm. and, and he doesn't hoof, the, hoof it up, you know, over the halfway line. I, I just – that's not working for me. And yeah, I, 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 get, I get the problem. He's, he's following instruction at the end of the day. He's, he's not meant to sure. hoof the ball forward, which is no. – uh, and not, not saying that his right foot is no good anyway, but – um, his right foot really should be used for hoofing forward. 
and his left foot should be used for passing out of defence. And mm. look, teams who play against us will know that as well. These guys pay analysts good money yeah. to say Calvin Bassey is not that strong in his right foot, so show him to the byline. Get him mm. wide. Get him playing out of defence with his right foot. It'll create a chance for us. It's very unfair to actually characterise him as one-footed. He's not. He really no, is oh, not. For sure, for sure. Yeah. But, but it's not the same quality coming out of defence when he plays with his right not. foot. And I think that's that's fine. It's the same as Tim Ream. If Tim Ream was playing on the right, we'd be having the same conversation. He doesn't play the ball out well with his right foot compared to his left foot. Mm. Yeah. So, again, it's nothing against him and saying he's not a good player. It's just it's not it's not working for him at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, let, let's talk about a couple of Fulham chances that came in the second half. Um, and a couple of good saves from Anana, although he made them look a lot better than they actually were. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. The first mm. one, Harry Wilson shooting from wide. They didn't show a replay at the time, but I did see it post-game. It, it's a decent shot from Wilson. I think he hits it with the outside of his foot to try and get the curl coming back in. Um, uh, sorry, to get the curl away from Anana. And Anana does make a good save, although I mentioned it to Dad as well. Anana seems to save it with his forearms way more than his hands. Yeah. And I don't know if he's actually that good a keeper because if you should be saving it with your hands, not your forearms. Um, and the ball ends yeah. up in the wrong places all the time because of that. Like that, that save he made from Wilson, that should be going out for a corner or a throw-in into the corner. Instead, it actually lands right in the danger zone because he's gone with his arm. And Pereira almost follows up with a header there. Um, McTominay managed to get across just in time. Mm. He's, he's interesting. He's very acrobatic, and he's actually mm. quite exciting to watch. But as Jack was saying on this one particular shot, I can't remember who smacked it at him. It was directly at him, and he sort of he he, he sort of double handed parried it away but his legs he jumped off the floor both his legs flick up in the air yeah, almost he looked like he was on a trampoline a guys he lands on his lower back guys it's <laughs> the commitment it's the commitment that makes match of the day you know like he that's how you get the spotlight on you to get at man united in the first place that was yeah, i mean that was the other chance i was talking about that was Polina got slipped through and and shot unfortunately straight at the keeper but like i said to dad at the time if that shot is hit at leno he yeah. stands there and he parries mm. it over mm. the crossbar or or far, far away, or even parries it down and probably controls it quite well. Yeah, Anana really just makes it. it look Anana makes it look spectacular. Mm. And it look like you said, Sammy, it looks great for match of the day, and the highlights packages look amazing when they come through. But at the end of the day, I'd rather have a keeper like Leno than a keeper like Anana because uh, sure. someone who's a, a little more dependable. Um, but look, they, they were Fulham's only real chances of the game. And it's interesting to see that, um, you know, we had Muniz, we had Vinicius, we had um, Jimenez all come on and spend some time on the pitch yesterday. None of our strikers managed to really test the keeper yesterday. Yeah, it was and nothing. look, we don't need to discuss it anymore because I think we've gone through this whole issue at length. But there's there's a striking issue and uh, unfortunately, it seems at this stage our goals have to come from our wingers and our midfielders. Um, well, Wilson with a good shot, Polina with a good shot, but where else is it going to come from at this rate? I, I was sort of <clears throat> poo-pooing the whole conversation, the wider conversation about the fact that, um, you know, we're, we're not providing service to our strikers. 
I think there's something in that. I don't think that is Definitely. forgiveness. I don't think that's forgiveness for how poor our strikers are performing, per se. Mm -hmm. Mm. But oh, there were moments. William had moments yesterday where he looked a little dangerous, but it wasn't yeah. very consistent. Um, Harry Wilson. I, I've read a lot of stuff on Twitter. People saying he had a great game. I, I'm, I'm still not feeling it. Um, he 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 still looks underconfident to me, and mm. and, I, and I did read something somewhere which actually makes a lot of sense as well. <clears throat> you know, Harry Wilson for Wales plays on the left, and for Fulham he plays on the right, and, and you know is always cutting in. A couple of times when he did run down the right wing, and use his right foot, which again is not strong, but he did use his right foot. He wasn't caught. Um, but it just has no venom to it. And Willian occasionally will get to the byline and dink something through. He has got a left foot. But neither of those players are actually going to be making runs all the way down and crossing the ball in. They're both cutting in. Mm. And, and you... so you went, no, but you end up with a situation that unless Robinson is actually getting the ball and you know, Robinson hasn't got the greatest cross on him. Um, Kenny Tete, Castagna's done a masterful job. I love what he's doing, and I'm so happy we've got him. But he ain't no Kenny Tete from a whole bunch of perspectives, and he certainly doesn't really do the overlap and the crossing that Kenny Tete does. Mm. That's missing. Um, so that there is very, very little. Not, not, that, not that we've got a, a Metro equivalent, roaming around in the six-yard box and just burying half-chance headers. But certainly Vinicius has got a good head on, and, I, and I, I'm starting to believe that Mooney's is not bad. Jimenez, mm. he does try, but he's just so out of form. He just never gets anywhere near it. But how many of those guys <clears throat> are getting last season whipped-in balls that Pereira was doing on a very, very, very – uh, frequent basis it's not happening yeah, yeah but we were like we are we are playing different and i think we like i think going forward we are going to play more in silver's preferred style whatever that is i think that's more like ball at feet um from everything that i've seen from like this season and the adjustment out of mitrovic actually a question a question was is injured because when he came off he was crying yeah. and i'm not sure if that's yeah. like is that is that yeah. a long term injury? Because I I because that was his don't knee. Know. I think don't know. But like I mean, you don't like you don't look that devastated when that's just kind of like a new niggle. I'm I'm deeply concerned about that. Um, just, yeah. Sorry, Sam. Just back to what I was talking about because I, I didn't quite finish that bit. Uh, you know, Bobby actually down the right. If you put Bobby on the right, he does play a more sort of traditional role. Will get down on his right and put crosses in, right? Mm. And, but maybe, maybe what we're really pointing to here is yes, strikers in January, and maybe we need some more wingers as well. Yeah, potentially. Uh, I, I think it's more so a case of out of form at the moment. Um, I, I don't think we've got an issue with the, the quality there. We saw it from Willian last year. We, we obviously missed a lot from Wilson last year because he was out injured, but. Um, I, I actually disagree, Dad. I think Wilson's been looking pretty good. I think 
when he gets the ball, I actually get a little bit excited to see what he's going to do. He gets shots on goal. He um, is, is pretty intricate around the edge of the box. So I, I think it's a matter of being slightly out of form at the moment. And look, that that can be a little bit dangerous sometimes, but I feel like it will click at some point. And, and maybe it's the fact that you do need that striker to be able to make it click. Maybe you need someone up the top that just closes the closes the gap as such. I don't I don't know. No, it's it's someone who a... complete completes the puzzle. Uh, and at the moment, because it's not complete, Wilson just doesn't he doesn't look good because he's not got someone to play the ball into the box too, and someone to play little one twos with. I mean, a lot of these guys got got their goals and created their chances off the back of playing alongside Mitrovic previously who was very good with his back to goal. He brought players into, into the movement. You know, he, he was such an integral part of every attack and we don't have him now. And I think these guys are having to learn to almost sort of do it themselves a little bit. And it's taking a bit of time for that to work at this moment. I I don't think the wingers are that big an issue. So it'd actually be, no, you're right. Um, It'd actually be really, really nice. I'm not sure about you guys, but I feel that we, really really benefit from like not necessarily having like a pacey striker um but um uh, just uh, uh maybe an older more like seasoned like i know it's i know it's a bit of a stretch but like if you think of somebody like um uh ibrahimovic like who is who played into his 40s and uh, was playing in his very late 30s and was significantly slower but just had such a touch about him that was able to create so much, which Mitrovic was really, really good at. There's plenty of older strikers around that are seasoned. Like think of players like Berbatov and stuff, who um, towards He's a like, the, you know, I know, I know. Although to be fair, I'd still probably take him. Um, but <laughs> like uh, just like players that are more in their twilight, as opposed to asking so much of players like um, Muniz. And I, I believe that Muniz is way more likely to come good. Um, then the other guys, um, uh, Jimenez and um, Vinicius. But I feel, I feel that when getting a strike, I feel that we really need um, a just uh, a, a mathematical thinking, slower moving, just setting up everything striker um, uh, who doesn't necessarily have to be this full pacey complete package, but like, like imagine if we got like a 37 year old Giroud or something like that, I reckon that would be like perfect for what we need because we have these guys that can um, actually create a lot, but they're just, they're just lacking in that box area because they just don't necessarily have the support. So we can get up there. We can get up there, but at the moment we just, is it wasteful or is it just, we just don't have that support and we don't have that kind of, um, well, I think, I think we're figure. thinking. I think we're thinking uh, um, that it's just the striker problem. I, I think it's a striker and a winger problem as well. And Jack believes it's a form issue. I think to to you know, I I, th- I think we could do with better quality. I think I think we have great wingers though, but I do think Jack's right. I think Jack made a really good analogy in just tying it all together because I think we are missing that kind of integral through point that um, gives the guys a lot more confidence to actually create stuff or just 
Like, if you think of, like, William throughout, like, the entire game yesterday, he was doing all the stuff that he usually does. He loves that kind of corner of the box and just playing around there, and he always does that slight cutting. But if you think back to, like, last season, the way that, like, um, Mitrovic was able to just give him so much space just by able to, like, draw players in and then just be able to, like, flick it back to him and really just give him the best opportunities. And I feel that at the moment... The guys aren't necessarily getting the best opportunities. So every attempt on goal was a panic yesterday. And would we we be better if we actually had more time? I don't necessarily know, but I can say that we're not getting that time. Do you guys agree? You're on mute, Jack. Uh, I didn't say anything. I'm just not sure. Just just (laughs) Uh, just, Just give us a better striker. (laughs) <laughs> just, yeah, yeah just I, I, end point. Yeah, uh, I feel like it's it's hard to analyze because, well, it's not that hard to analyze. We had Mitro last year and we played really well because we had a good striker. We've got, I mean, we're starting with pretty much the same side that we started with last year. The only changes mm-hmm. are Castagna over Tete through injury, but I mean, Willian and Wilson and Pereira were all playing last year. Um, Polina was playing last year alongside Reed. It's it's not that different a side. We're just missing that final piece, which seems to be a striker. I think we there. There's definitely a, an issue where our wingers are not giving the same quality to the strikers that we have. But I think we can put it down to the fact that we just need to sign a top class striker to actually compete at this level if we want to stay up and continue to grow as a as a club in the Premier League. Mm. Um, let's push forward and talk about the goal itself it was heartbreaking to see it go in but look Sammy I'll throw to you on this one because Fulham really should have cleared that ball I counted it in the replay it was three different attempts at getting the ball out of the box um we just it's just such a gutting way to lose a game yeah um do you know the thing that actually stresses me out like the most about it is probably about 30 seconds before it happened i said to see as my friend i was like we're gonna concede i was like i can feel it i can feel it right now because it just it just felt it just felt like us and it just felt like that was the moment and isn't it awful that i can telegraph that it's like you can see it happening before it happens like it's I, i i don't like that i don't like that um I don't really. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't really know what to say outside of just speaking like poetically about it. In a sense, is just is uh, it was it was indicative of a poor performance, and I think as as awful as it was to go out that way, I think it was kind of fitting because I feel that we were just it, it just felt tragic and. Maybe it's harsh to say that like our performance was a bit tragic, but I feel like it kind of was because I feel like that wasn't that wasn't the Fulham that we know and love. I don't know. It's, uh, it just upset me. It upset me a lot when yep. it happened. Well, is it is it unfair to say that th- three failed attempts to clear the ball at the ninetieth minute? Is a bit Sunday League. I mean, yes. we we shouldn't no, be 
you know that like um okay if in, i'm trying to remember the sequence here robinson passes one back and then the man united player kind of seizes the opportunity to shut is it is it ream down i think robinson sort of half tries to clear it passes it back ream then kicks it into the man united player yeah it so then... he rushed him Right. Rebound. And he didn't rush him. Ream just cleared it into him for some reason. He didn't even he didn't close him down that hard. Um, it's mm. just again a, a poor clearance that should have just that needs to be landing in the opposition box almost. Yeah. Um, and then Polina again, all he needed to do was put that to the halfway line, and for some reason it goes to the edge of the box. Um, and yeah, yeah just put this. It, it's just unnecessary, and it's what we saw from Fulham back in the seasons where we got relegated and it's that real lack of awareness of, of the game yeah. situation. You're in the 90, 90th minute of the game and you're not putting the ball over the halfway line when you're trying to clear it. You're, you're trying to muck around and be maybe too clever or, or maybe just not taking the threat seriously enough of a side who have a player like Fernandez, who we know is a world-class player, he gets the ball and he's going to put a shot on goal and it's usually going to be a pretty good one too. Mm. You, you just can't. You can't have three attempts to clear the ball. You just can't. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. I don't know about you guys, but excluding, like, exclude, like Im- imagine you put every single Man United player in Wolves shirts and just exclude the fact that they're Man United. For me, it felt like we played a mid-table team and that we looked like a squad that would be relegated in any other season. Agree or disagree? Yeah. Yeah. No, well, not relegated. I don't agree. With we, that. we 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 kind of looked kind of equal to them. I thought we uh, looked equal we to them. we looked better than them in most most instances. I say they. I didn't think Man United looked that good. So going by no. that, I'd say we just looked like two very average mid-table sides battling it out, and one of them got a one-nil win, which you kind of expect yeah. in a in a game yeah. like that. And look, it's it's a mark of Man United and the the kind of club that they are is I think that was their sixth one nil win of the season so far. Mm. So they're they're scraping these one nil wins and they're getting the victories that that's currently keeping them. I think they're in eighth at the moment. But geez, it could be a lot worse for them based on that performance and what I've seen from them so far. They are not a good side. No, um, but but, but if you have high quality individuals, that 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 will get you over the line. Individual. Oh, I'm so annoyed really. that you were right. I'm so annoyed that you were right at that because I really wanted to be smug on this podcast when you said that last time because I was like, no, it's about the team and the cohesion. But you know, you're right. Individual, yeah. individual brilliance did prevail. Oh, it, it always does. Unfortunately, um, football is one of those games where you can rat out a draw and and work really hard. But you know, when you gift a chance like that to a player like Fernandez on the edge of the box. There's only one thing that's going to happen, and unfortunately, that is conceding a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, heartbreaking, but look, at the end of the day, I think a, a point would have been a good result for us and probably a fair result based on the performance. To lose 1-0 in the manner that we did is really disappointing, but before the game, or may, maybe not before the game, but at the very start of the season when the fixtures first came out, if you said we'll lose 1-0 to Man United, you'd probably go, yep, fair enough. The, the disappointing thing, I guess, is we played Man United um, three, four times in the last 12 months, and every single time we've played them, we've put in a really good shift. We just haven't managed to get a result out of any of those games yet. 
Um, so, look, it, it, it is disappointing that we couldn't pick up a point here at least because it would have been a really good point. But, um, look, I think we, we just have to move on and pick ourselves up and, um, yeah, make sure that we're ready for the next game, which is Aston Villa next weekend. Oh. Um, I'll quick look at the stats here. Um, we'll just breeze over these, but Fulham with 45% possession to Man U's 55. Fulham had 18 shots on goal with just three on target. Man U 12 shots on goal with five on target. Fulham 363 passes, Man U 454. Fulham nine corners to Man U's four and nine fouls for five yellow cards. Man United 15 fouls for just two yellow cards. Um, guys, we, we I mentioned that we haven't moved in the table. We still sit 14th at the moment. We have a, a seven-point buffer between us and Luton, who are in 18th. Um, it's still looking fairly comfortable, I'd say, for... Fulham in, in regards to a relegation race, Bournemouth, Luton, Burnley and Sheffield United all occupying those bottom four positions and I don't see much movement there at this rate. One thing I do want to talk about and we'll we'll finish up on the pod after we talk about this, but the affordable Fulham protest um, which took place in the 18th minute, um, it was hard to see on the live stream. I'm glad we've managed to see quite a few photos after the game um, of the number of yellow cards that were held up by Fulham supporters. And look, there's been a lot of chat about this one as well. Um, and, and we had a pretty healthy debate yesterday about um, the protest itself and, and if this is the right way to go about things. I'll open it up to you first, Sammy. Um, your thoughts on how the protest went, I guess, and just if you think this is the right way to go about it and if not, what what way forward is there? Oh, hard hitting questions. Uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be as honest as I always can because at the end of the day, that's all you can be. Um, uh, look, I I I love the sentiment. I was I was speaking to you guys about this the other day. Sentiment of protesting is always, in my opinion, right. I I love the idea of it. I love the I love the unionization of the fans about it. Unfortunately, it wasn't um, picked up. By the live stream, I I didn't notice it. I was actually prepared for it at the start of the game, kind of got swept up in the game. And then at about the 25th minute, I remembered that it was a thing. And so it wasn't picked up by um, the uh, Optisport, which is a great shame. Yeah, I'll I'll cut you in there because I'll just make a mention of that, that I did notice that when we were watching and the 18th minute came around. And usually you do hear commentators make a point of explaining what's going on and why, because the actual... Um, the cameras picked it up a few times and actually cut to some pictures of yellow cards being held up, but the commentators didn't make mention once of why it was actually happening. It has been covered quite quite a lot in the press post-game. There's, I don't know, Sport Bible and BBC and Match of the Day, and there's a lot of people actually covering it. But, yeah, it was it was disappointing, I think, that at the time the commentators had a chance to say something about the sort of 10,000 yellow cards being shown around the stadium, and they didn't. I I thought it was extraordinary, actually. Absolutely Mm. extraordinary. If you think about it, the the cameraman can't just suddenly start zooming in on, you know, 3,000 yellow cards in the Johnny Haynes stand. Um, The director's got to get his prompt from the commentator who brings it up and starts talking about it and makes mention of it, at which point 
um, the director, you know, tells the cameraman to take a shot. It, it just didn't happen. And it's almost yeah. like it was contrived to, 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 to not happen. Or was he just being really thick? I mean, there were allegedly 7,000 people with mm. um, yellow cards. And even, it was yeah. it was just certainly on our stream. It was without impact. Kind of ignored. I thought. Yeah. Look, I'm not. I'm not even sure if it was contrived or um, orchestrated mm. to ignore the sentiments of the fans. I think at this stage, and I don't want this to come off as a criticism on the the movement itself or the sentiment, but the attention on it isn't there. The focus on it isn't there. And for the Fulham fans fan base to get what they want, um, I, a, a bigger splash needs to be made. A more, not necessarily evocative thing needs to be made. Or, an, or we need to just keep doing this at every single game. We either have to establish consistency or something bigger. Because at the end of the day, um, if you think of, if you think of the knee um, uh, that um, the players take before mm. um, the game starts to stand against uh, racism. It's a really small thing, but the consistency of it actually makes it more important over time. So then a seemingly small thing at the start becomes more important the way that you do it. Either we have to keep doing this every single game to the point Mm. where people notice. You can't do it as a once-off. It needs to be... In order to do something powerful, you either have to make as loud a noise as physically possible, and I just don't think that we're a big enough club to actually orchestrate that, or you have to be consistent and persistent. And I can see that Jack really wants to say something, and I'm going to allow you to do it. Well, it's just it's an interesting point you make about the taking the knee. Mm. Um, because, yes, that's consistency. I know, actually, it's not super consistent now. For some reason, they pick yeah. random games where they do take the knee. But my question that I pose back to you on that is, has that actually made a difference? Racism still seems to crop up constantly in football. Yes, we take the knee, but has, I mean, there's a bit more awareness around it, but there's there's been a lot of awareness about racism in football for a very long time. It doesn't seem to actually solve the problem. So is, doing, is holding up yellow cards every week going to actually solve it? So it doesn't well, solve the problem, but it oh, creates oh. the conversation. Uh, hang on, point of order. I think it, it, they're different things. Um, but I, I think Sam's got a point that um, what what the supporters should have been told is take your yellow card home and bring it back two weeks' time mm. or, or even next or even next week. Take Bring it out every time and mm. keep doing it. I, I agree. You know, it's a very, very genteel um, – very respectful, very diplomatic, very British way of complaining about things without pissing off too many constituents and and, and sort of trying try to stay inside the room <clears throat> and maintain a dialogue rather than just torching the earth. But we, we, we know that this is not really hurting anyone. It's not getting to anyone. But we have to find a way to be heard in a way that is uncomfortable. You're not going to affect the Khan's pocket, but you can affect their level of comfort. You can make life uncomfortable. Um, and so 
that you know that we must be heard on this and we can't be blown off and i think 7000 or maybe 7500 next time and maybe 8000 the time after that and who knows maybe half the stadium eventually actually mm. th- that gets noticed that's yeah. going to get noticed because every time the, a commentary team come to craven cottage um it's going to be the unhappy supporters of fulham who are silently protesting and won't stand for it anymore. Do you know it's also the worst thing that you could possibly do, um, or at least the fan base, the worst thing that we could possibly do, is see this as an opportunity to go, well, it didn't work. Um, Because that's the easy thing to do. And that's kind of what people like the Khans would actually want Mm -hmm. for us to be discouraged. The point Mm -hmm. is, you. I mean, it's the same with calling out your friend for saying something sexist. If you don't do it like one time and if you're not consistent with it, then you essentially just allow it to happen. It's the same with all of these things. It's just about consistency and establishing what is and isn't okay. And the more you essentially allow things to kind of be okay, even if it's passive, even if it's passively saying that's not all right, putting up a sign at a game and everybody just does it and then it becomes the norm then it kind of, I feel like that's the only way this is going to be go forward because we're not a sexy enough club to create real change and for people, like I said, we've said it before, we need to do like a documentary or something like that and have like a full-on like Netflix-style mythology about the piece that is um, the ticket prices before really you could get a mainstream media to care. That's my but, opinion on it at least. But But you're right. It is about saying... It's not okay, and we're not going away. Yeah. I, I will say, I don't think, well, I don't think you can say the mainstream media doesn't care. The The protest was covered by pretty much every outlet post-game. There's been a lot written about it in multiple different um, newspapers. It was um, talked about on the BBC, talked about on Sky. Like, it's definitely out there. And look... Personally, I'm glad that we, as a podcast, support the message and support the the protest itself. I think the big thing is this is has to just be viewed as the first step. And look, a lot of people maybe didn't agree with the way that the supporters trust decided to do it, but for me, it's it's actually not about agreeing with the 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 way that we're doing it. It's about agreeing with the message. And I don't think there's many people who disagree with the message that everyone in the Fulham community is trying to trying to send, which is saying to the club that this is not okay. Mm. Um, we, we've I don't know what the next step is, and that needs to be decided by the supporters' but, trust. And I, I think they need to converse with people like us and other podcasts like Fulhamish and Cottage Talk and people who have a big reach into the community and get feedback from other Fulham fans to work out what the next steps should be because like you like you said we can't just stop here and say okay well we've done our protest let's cross our fingers now that the Khans do something there needs to be a next step after this well but but as we've just been talking about Jack I think Sam's comments and his ideas are actually really good ones and I and I hope the supporters trust are listening and maybe uh you know percolating that idea that that why not carry on with this? You know, don't be thinking that you're inconveniencing fans. They actually care about it. It's nothing to hold a card up. Nothing. Mm. Um, and I think but they, they want to. Therein do, lies the problem a little bit. Is is the fact that it is nothing? 
Um, it's it's mm. it's a it's a show of support, but it's not much more than that at this stage. Um, and, and I think yes, you can keep doing it, but if the Khans ignore it this time, they're probably going to ignore it for the next ten times as well, and fifty times after that, because. Um, like you said when we were talking about it on Saturday morning, it, it doesn't hurt them in any way. People are well, still at the I ground think... buying tickets, and unfortunately, can, can... there's there's a lot of issues here that you you can't you can't. It's going to be hard to actually hit the cans in their pocket where it would hurt because people are still going to buy the tickets. No, no, I think I think Jack, as we said before, it, if. Um, you make a statement like this, a quiet, genteel statement, and it's ignored. It's effectively blown off, and there's nothing more done about it. There's, there's, there's no more. There is no more confrontation on it. But if you quietly confront the other side every single time, week on week, and mm. and and whilst it's quite passive, they are collectively and cumulatively ignoring it, and that becomes a problem. I think yeah. over time that becomes a real problem because what it says is you've got a really, really unhappy fan base. They borderline mm. dislike you. Also, as well to that point, as well for me, for me, it's as simple as um, like I, I think taking the knee is a good example. So I'm just going to refer to it back again. If um, players are taking the knee, and say for example, Alfie um, says, "Dad, why are they taking the knee?" You have to explain that to him, and the more that that happens the more that explanation goes around. And it's a really funny psychological thing. Like if you explain what's happening to a child, um, just for example, but this can be your friend down at the pub. This can be just somebody who's a passive fan who doesn't necessarily care. But the more that you actually have to explain it as an outside um, viewer, say, for example, you're a Man United fan or whatever, the more you have to explain why um, people do that, the more it creates that conversation. And the more you have to justify what it is, the more you kind of recognize that it's not okay. So in that stage, passive protest does kind of work. It just has to be consistent. And you know what? It doesn't necessarily have to be this. It can be whatever, but it just has to be something continuous because I feel like that's the only way that people are going to get heard. Well, Jonathan Liu, Guardian reporter, who I rate very highly, and, you know, Jack and I, Loved his coverage of the Ashes uh, cricket. He's he's a great writer. I don't know if you guys saw his article on it. Um, he certainly covered it. It was only one paragraph, but he covered it sweetly. And he has a very very wide readership, and he's uh, he's, he's highly respected. I tell you though, they they won't write about it every single week. No, the, no, the no, message no. you do the same. Well, it's the definition of insanity: doing the same thing over and over again. Getting the same mm. result. There's, there's nothing going to change. Yeah, no, protest is different. Oh, I, I disagree no, with that. It, it's not, it's not different. It, it's, it's really not. We, you continue to protest. The clans continue to ignore it, and you continue to do it. Why would you keep going round and round in circles when there are other avenues? Uh, I'm not saying give up. I'm saying explore other avenues. I think this is a really good start, but I think there needs to be a next step, and I don't know what that is, and I. I happily take it away and think about it and try and come up with ideas well, for it. We're well, not well, going to change your view on this, Jack. I can see that. <laughs> but I'm, like, telling no, you, I'm telling you, you cumulatively ignore someone's plea. You look like an arsehole. Simple. Yeah. 
That's 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 a good point. But I, I also I, agree, I also think as well. I also, yeah, sorry, the, no, Jack, you go. The cons don't care about being seen as assholes. That's a problem. They really mm. don't. You see it with I, Tony I Khan with all his interactions on Twitter with angry wrestling fans. He does he doesn't care. He, I do agree they, with you. They really don't care, and that, that's that's the crux of the problem is they do not care. And they show it by raising prices by 18%. They show it by pricing people out of just games like this. They show it by allowing Man United fans to pack away, pack out um, the Putney end. And you see it when the goal goes in, half of what is meant to be the homestand jumps up in celebration because it's all Man United fans. There's some very smart people, very wise folk in the Fulham Supporters Trust, and they have to find a, a way of making the Khans care. They have to. Here's, 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 my, here's, my, here's my two cents on it, though. Like, um, I, I agree with you that it is the definition of insanity expecting a different result. But at the moment, we're trying to get people within the ground to care. But what you, the actual long-term goal is should be to get people outside of the ground to care. And I think that only comes from when the conversation gets loud enough and consistent enough that it actually spills out of the cottage and goes to um, the local pub, the local um, hairdresser, well, like the local wherever. Nah. Because that's man, the only the way man, that you, you know, can... The, no, the local hairdresser people outside of Fulham won't give care. a shit. The lo- yeah. a Man United fan. And until they don't give a shit, shit, nothing will happen. No, That's no, you point. can't but expect they, them. You can't expect to. them to care. You, they will never care, Sam. But of but course, I, but, but you can make them be uh, in the conversation. No, no but it doesn't yeah, change anything if they are. They, if, it doesn't. If the local hairdresser is talking about Fulham being expensive because they saw they heard something on the news about it, they're not going to enact change. They're not going to no. go down to the local park and protest again about it. They're they know about it, yes, and the the problem is the the reason the analogy with taking a knee doesn't work is racism in football is what they're talking about, but it's actually racism as the wider picture of racism ac- across the whole world. The problem here is we're protesting about something very specific, which is Fulham fans not being able to go and see their team because it's too expensive. It doesn't affect anyone else except for Fulham fans. Yeah, and so and what you, I, but it's going to be hard is... for people to care about it. And even if it, it, everyone can be talking about it the world over, but there's only 30,000 people who are actually going to be affected by it. But the thing is, if everyone's talking about the world over, then I think the FA actually step in and actually nah. create barriers. No, you're wrong. You're no, wrong. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, because the FA are the worst people on earth. I understand that. But I'm saying that's how these things get changed, and that's what happened. No, because they just won't. Yeah. And, and no, I, know, as, I, know, I know they will not because the FA is awful, but I'm just saying that is how you make those changes. I, point of order again. I, I've actually got a problem. There's plenty of upside for growth here because seven thousand out of what twenty-five, maybe thirty thousand people at Craven Cottage cared enough to make a symbolic gesture. Yeah, that's it awesome. would be something. It, no, it would be something if every single one of them were doing it. Mm, you know, yeah. and maybe maybe that's where we need to get to as a starting point of actually getting everyone involved. And you can get there. You can totally get there. It's just about consistency and then that just becoming the norm. And we just do that at every game. And that's, mm. it's, it seems annoying and it seems tedious and it seems boring, but it's, if you create that as the cultural norm, then that conversation at least creates being, a th- you just want to create a PR disaster for the cons. 
That's all you mm-hmm. can really do. Because yes, you're one hundred percent right. Yep. They do not care. You will never be able to get to them through sentiment, but through a PR scandal, they kind of have to do something. Totally. <laughs> you say that Tony Khan went full in on the Saudis, talking about them beheading people, and uh, he doesn't yeah. care about PR scandals. That they and and Sammy, it's an issue you've popped up multiple times, saying billionaires just don't care and they're terrible people. I know they and, don't care. I know they um, don't care. Look, I, 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 just to be totally clear, I 100% agree that Fulham should Fulham fans should be protesting this. It, it's not saying that we shouldn't be doing anything. It's just trying to work out what the next step is. And mm. look, it might be that we continue to push this yellow card thing. Do I think that's going to eventually make a difference? Personally, no. I think we need to look at other ways that we can do it. And I also don't have the answer, which is frustrating me personally, because I'd love to be able to say doing this will definitely work and get the change we need. I think we just need to continue to try lots of different things to try and put a lot of pressure on the club. And, and look, it's it's not just the Khans. Alistair McIntosh is, I think his role is that he's the CEO or the managing director of the club. He's He's the person who actually can make the change and make the recommendation to the Khans and say, we're under a lot of pressure here. But we've seen it a lot over the course of the last 10, 20 years. It, it doesn't make a huge difference. So you have to look at different ways to do it. And and I don't know what that way is. And But we need to keep trying. We need to keep fighting for it because, you know, there's young kids who are in the stadium at the moment, but when they become adults, they might not be able to afford it. And there will be people who can afford it and it doesn't affect them at the moment, but it's not about the per- the people who can deal with these price rises. It's about the people who can't. Look, honestly as well, and if nothing else, if nothing else, us going around like in circles about it and spending 20 minutes on it on our podcast, if that's the only platform we have, I do think that that is also important as well because hmm. it's just about keeping the conversation going. And you know what? You and you, me and dad, we can completely disagree on it. And then as a result, anybody who's listening can have like their two cents on it as well. The point is it's in the conversation and it's in the zeitgeist. And that is, it just has to stay there. It just has to stay there. And that's on us. That's on everybody. That's on every Fulham fan. And that's sometimes if that's all you can do, then that I think that's important. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, you make a good point there, like, we, I think we all sort of disagree on the way to do it, but at, mm. we all agree that we need to do something and we need to keep doing something and not give up this um, this message that we're trying to send to the club. It's just about trying to, you you know, we'll probably stumble across a way that actually works eventually. We'll, we'll work out how to get that message through so clearly that it can't be ignored. Um, and it's just about consistency and persistence at this stage. And And look, I really hope that, the Khan saw that and, you know, maybe it does get through to them and they do make a change, but um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what actually comes out of this because, um, you know, there was no message post-game from Tony Khan about Fulham's performance. Um, there, I'm sure there'll be a bit of silence and I, I doubt we'll hear anything for a little while. Um, I think the next time we'll actually find out about it and see if the message gets through is at the next Supporters Trust meeting and then on top of that, when the season tickets for next year get announced to see if they are one of the few clubs in the Premier League that actually hold their prices or not. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, Dad and Sam, I guess, do you want to make any 
further points on the protest itself or the message and, and talk it through any further? No, I think uh, we've kind of said our bit. Um, I, I just, I just hope that it doesn't doesn't stay. It doesn't it doesn't just die there, and um, mm. <clears throat> and that the 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 supporters trust don't lose heart, and actually maybe have a have a listen to this and think, you know, maybe maybe we do need to try and implement something that repeats just on, just on silent repeat. Yeah. My 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 sentiments are: anyone who is a part of that protest, please don't be discouraged. No matter how good or bad it was, um, just be prepared to be that annoying, unpopular person in the bar who just keeps on piping on about the same thing, because it is important. It's so important with any social issue. It's just about constantly reiterating what you're not happy with, um, and it. Again, we we disagree on um, whether constantly reiterating what you think is okay and not okay actually works, but I believe that it does. And I believe that the more you talk about how you're getting dicked around by your club in every circumstance that you can, it creates um, an avenue for change at least, or at least for people to consider these things. And as long as people are considering it, that's all that matters. Keep doing what you're doing. We love you here, and yeah, just keep pushing on. Yep, I will um, post up Black, White, and Fred's comment on our live stream. Um, just making a point, saying the pleas on the yellow cards were very full of mission. Yep, couldn't be more correct there. Saying um, please don't price us out. It's um, yeah, could couldn't be more polite. And as you said at the start, that a very British way to protest. Um, guys, look, let's wrap it up there. I think we've managed to cover the United game and, and talk about, you know, what is a really important moment, I guess, and, and could be a very important moment in the history of the club where um, we're sending such a strong message to the owners. I don't think it's something that we've we've done for a little while since the last time we protested pretty much the same thing, um, which is pricing Fulham fans out of football. Um, but I think we've we've hopefully done it justice and hopefully been pretty clear that we really do support the message of affordable Fulham and um, look look forward to how that all pans out in the future because I think there's there's a lot more work to be done and I hope, like we've all said, this doesn't end up uh, petering out from here. We really need to keep pushing the message. Um, a, a message there from Colm on the live stream as well just to say we are currently streaming. Um, I think the ladies might have already kicked off in their game against Clap. Clapton Community Club. Um, a big good luck to them today. Um, hopefully they can get walk home with a win and we'll definitely be talking about that and also the under-21's recent performance on the next podcast. Um, but look, guys, I think we can wrap it up there. Sammy, thanks for your time tonight. Uh, thanks for having me. This is probably the most energy that I've ended the pod with for a while. That might be a Sunday thing or that might just be a riveting conversation keeping me alive. But yeah, put Man United behind us. And it's just nice to hang out with my family, you know. It's just nice, isn't it? <laughs> Good stuff, Sammy. And Dad, thank you as well. Yeah, thank you. One thing I forgot to say was that, you know, there, there must be some smart marketing and PR brains out in the Fulham community. And if you've got any great ideas, you should actually either get in touch with us or get in touch with the Fulham Supporters Trust and give them your ideas as to how totally. you think. This could be more effective. Probably sitting at home, 
discussing it with their friends or their family about how it could be done better. Be active about it and actually forge yeah. your ideas and, and uh, you know, let's work together on it. Yeah, and sort of on top of that point, like you said, even if you don't agree with the way that this message is trying to be construed to the Khans and to the club, please do still support it because it's, the message behind it is what's important. It's it's making sure we don't price fans out of football and, and keeping Fulham affordable for future generations. So, look, um, like like you said, Dad, put your, put your ideas forward. If you have a better idea, please do share it, but we can't just sit back and, and do nothing. I think that's the, the crux of the message there. So, guys, thank you again for joining me tonight. Thank you for discussing everything in depth. And as always, come on, you whites. 